Hello and welcome to episode six of the Ryan Glover podcast with guests for the blueworldorder.com website. I'm of course Ryan Glover and the producer for this and every podcast is Jordan Taylor. You will hear his perspective throughout each podcast and with the final segment of the podcast, Final Thoughts with JT, where me and Jordan will break down what the guest says for that specific podcast. Today's guest is a LakersNation.com beat reporter. The one and only Serena Winters joins us from beautiful L.A. Serena, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing just fine in this beautiful weather out here. Yeah, I bet it is. We're finally getting some nice weather here in Memphis, but I can't believe it must be beautiful in sunny L.A. all the time, so we're definitely jealous of that for sure. So let's jump right, of course, into the Kobe Bryant sweepstakes that's been happening now throughout this NBA season. Obviously, the Lakers are still dreadful. They finally got their 12th win of the season last night against the Brooklyn Nets. But the Kobe Bryant, basically when it all started, Serena, right? It took about about a month to three weeks into the regular season until he finally announced that he was going to retire. But then he admitted throughout the questions throughout these away trips that he knew basically this summer he was going to retire. So why did you think it took him a month to finally write that article and to say he was going to retire? Was he really trying to see if his body could maybe last this one more? season then try to think about this upcoming season or was it just he just wanted to take his time and think about what he wanted to write you know in terms of it all starting and talking about this summer and it was always the question you know everybody assumed that he was going to retire but he wouldn't you know fully come out and say it I don't think in you know in the summertime he was ready to fully close that door yet I think there was maybe a, a little you know little bit of hope there that maybe he'd come back stronger than ever you know and after that his first or second or third game you know have a game of his life and think okay maybe I got one more left in me I think there was a very small percent chance that that would happen but he wanted to cling on to that you know and and then when the season started we all saw you know what we were going to get from Kobe Bryant and I think at that point you know he realized okay this is going to be my final season but I am also a businessman and I want to make sure that I go out the right way Um, and I think he also wanted to he was kind of struggling with whether or not he wanted to you know, deal with this entire farewell tour, or what he eventually realized is that he wanted to give the Lakers, you know, Lakers general manager Mitch Kupchak, Jim Buss, wanted to make sure that they knew what his decision was going to be and that they wouldn't have to, you know, hold it up in the air any longer when they were recruiting free agents. So I think it had to do with a lot of different things. Um, And once he, he finally knew for sure that he was going to retire, he decided, okay, you know what, I have got an investment now in the Players' Tribune which is the athlete-driven website, and I am going to write this letter and tell everybody about my retirement through it, which, you know, is a smart business decision from his sake. Um, So so I think that's kind of how it all came down. So how is that relationship with him and the ownership and, of course, Mitch Chupkett, right? Because we've seen throughout now basically the last three to four seasons, if we're going to be honest, it's just been a complete disaster for Kobe and the Lakers organization, like you mentioned with free agency, obviously not making the playoffs now for three consecutive seasons. So is he really content? Because when you look at this guy out on the court or when you look at him in the postgame shows, you know he's completely a different man. And we've, I, I think, obviously, Michael Jordan's still the best player to ever play in this world on the NBA court, but there was no better competitor and more guy who didn't care anything else more about basketball than Kobe Bryant and now we're looking at a completely different guy he seems completely content but deep down inside something tells me it must be killing him to be dealing with this Lakers team and this Lakers organization over the past couple of seasons you know this is such a unique situation Um, I've never really seen anything quite like it because you know the Lakers right now aren't just bad they are talent wise you know they are very bad Uh, you know only 12 wins 
Um, and that has got to be very, very difficult for Kobe to deal with. But at the same time, you know, Kobe realizes that this team, and realized early on that this team was not going to make the playoffs, right? So when he realized that, and when he all of a sudden, you know, announced his retirement and was started to go to these arenas and get all of this love from the fans and all of that, I think it was really overwhelming for him um, and, and kind of changed him, you know, a little bit. It, it is very weird to see Kobe Bryant, and I've asked him this, you know, after the games, it is weird to see him up there on that stand after the Lakers just, you know, lost a game by 20 points and he's got this huge, huge grin on his face. But, but you have to realize that as much as people want to paint Kobe Bryant as, you know, this, this godlike figure, at the end of the day, he's still a human being just like anybody else. And after 19 years, obviously now his 20th year, but, but those first 19 years being what he likes to call himself as the villain in the league, going to all these places where people are booing him, where people are hating on him, dealing with all of that for, you know, the majority of his life, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, feeling the exact opposite, and now getting just this, this stream of emotions and this love for him, when it, everywhere he goes, every time it's his last arena, I think he, he honestly, I think he just kind of gave into it. I think that this, you know, great, strong, villainous Kobe is now realizing, you know, I can't be that guy anymore. You know, when, when they're going to be cheering my name in my last year, I, I'm giving in. I'm letting them give me that big hug. I am, I'm taking in what's happening right now because this is the last time that he can take it in ever again. So when he officially announced that he also wasn't going to take his name out of the Summer Olympics team this upcoming summer, was it strictly that he just wanted to finish his you know, basketball career with a Lakers jersey on inside the Staples Center, or was it something more to that? Did he think something else was happening? Because you know there was rumors around all season, off season, talking about that he maybe go play one year in Italy or something like that, since he was, you know, he, he played a long time and lived a long time in there. But or was it just completely that he's just, you know, I'm tired of basketball? Like you know, he's admitted multiple times that he just doesn't think about basketball 24/7 like he used to do before. So is it just a completely different mindset now that he's just ready to walk away from the game and he's just completely content with that? You know, I can't tell you, obviously, exactly what, what's going through Kobe Bryant's mind up there, but I can tell you um, from, from being there kind of my take on it. And, and my take on it was that I think, which is very similar to, to what I said in the beginning, is that I think he was kind of clinging on to the idea that, you know, he could be in those Olympics for one last time, and, and that could be that final chapter of his book, going out strong like that with, you know, another medal. Um, but then I think reality kicked in. And when he was not playing great basketball and you could tell that his body is just simply breaking down, I think that's honestly what made him realize, I can't do this anymore, guys. I can't do this anymore. And then I think in his mind, it's going to sound good to him to say, I want my last game to be in a Lakers uniform. So I think that, that once he realized it's, it's not fair for me to even, you know, be a part of the Olympics because that roster spot could go to somebody else who could really help the team and really deserve it. I mean, it's all fine and dandy in terms of, you know, it being the end of the farewell tour and him getting the recognition in Rio and all of that. 
But at the end of the day, it's also not fair to have that roster spot go to somebody else. And I think he realized that with his body breaking down and him not doing so well. And so at that point, he made the decision that it sounds good to say, I want my last game to be in a Laker uniform. So now more to the away game decisions that he's doing now. Obviously not playing in more home games now. He didn't play against the Grizzlies on Friday night and, of course, didn't play last night against the Brooklyn Nets. But he seems like he's made it a priority of him to play in every single away game for the remainder of the season. So we've seen these speci- the special ones right against Philadelphia where he got a great reception there. And then, of course, other ones like that in Boston and those kind of places where he's had one of the most terrific games in those kind of places. So these away venues, how is it like just to, in a Kobe witness there, how, how he witnesses it all with the whole fans. It just it seems completely different, and it's just something unique that we haven't seen in the NBA for a while. So how do you think these away arenas and these away teams specifically do stuff different now for Kobe Bryant in his final game there in those arenas? Oh, it's so great. You know, it's, it's just the ultimate sign of respect and the energy in the arenas, the emotion on Kobe's face, I mean, it looks like Kobe is fighting back tears when he's being introduced in these arenas. And I I think it's really because of the emotion in the arena from the fans, them saying that they truly do appreciate what he has given to the game of basketball. And, you know, when I was in Oakland um, for his last game up there, it was so neat. Jerry West spoke before the game about Kobe, and then he had a special video prepared um, for Kobe that was playing, you know, through the arena on the Jumbotron, and they zoom into Kobe's face, and, you know, you got Kobe. He, he can't fight back the smile. The smile is so big from ear to ear, and it almost looks like he's going to be in tears out there. You know, it, it's so neat to see all the arenas and all of these teams just respect what he's given to the game of basketball. There, there's few greats to come by and, and to show that respect and for the fans that, you know, have booing him for years and, and, and all of these rivalries to, to just appreciate the good times, you know, that's the soft spot with Kobe. That, that's what finally got him all these years. That is his Achilles heel. Hey, Serena, this is Jordan. So I want to know, what's Kobe like behind the scenes? Like, what is he like in the locker room? Has he embraced this mentor role? Has he been open and willing to offer the young guys advice like Russell and Randall and Clarkson? Hey, Jordan. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, I think even more so than locker room, you can see him on the sidelines, with a clipboard, with D'Angelo Russell, showing him this, that, and the other, you know, little intricacies, nuances to the game. You know, having D'Angelo, for example, watch a guy like Damian Lillard um, or Derrick Rose and say, look, if he would have done that, you could have done this. You know, he's showing him you know, the, the knowledge that he's learned over so many years um and and it's it's cool to see this side of kobe i i think that he is taken upon himself to realize all right i've I've only got this amount of time left and i owe it to the lakers franchise and i owe it to this younger generation to give them the knowledge you know that that he's passed on i will say one of the things that is kind of you know, interesting is that Kobe doesn't really attend practices 
anymore. Um, very few. Byron Scott likes to give him the day off of practice, so he's not so much around at the practice facility during practices too much. Um, but, you know, other than that, he's trying to do all he can do. And, and you, you see, what's kind of fun, too, is, you know, last night, for example, um, when the Lakers beat the Nets, Kobe didn't play, but he was on the bench. And uh, there was a moment where the crowd is chanting MVP at Staples Center. And like I said, Kobe's not playing. He's not out on the floor. And I see Jordan Clarkson look over at him and give him one of those funny smiles and, and kind of joke around with him a bit like, oh, you're getting the big dog treatment again. And, and so that makes you kind of see from behind the scenes, you know, he does have a good relationship with these younger guys. So specifically now is a good transition to the crowd situation because we've heard it from time to time when Kobe's not been on the floor. They've sometimes got the boo cheers inside the um, Staples Center, which you hardly have ever heard in that beautiful arena down there in L.A. So now with the transitioning from Kobe going out now with about only about 20 games left, obviously less than that at the home, is the Lakers fan base and the Lakers around the city, are they realizing now that this team could be even more dreadful in the coming years and say, no, it's going to be very hard to persuade free agents now? It seems like in this day and age of basketball, they'd rather go win at a lower market than go, say, to L.A. or to New York to go play for a lesser team at a bigger market. We've seen that, obviously, with LaMarcus Aldridge this summer. So what do you think the fan base is going to react to this in the summer when Kobe basically leaves and this team's going to be filled with a lot of really, really young, talented pieces? Yeah, you know, the, the, when we talk about the fan base, it's always an interesting question. Um, I, I think it's going to be pretty hard for fans, and I think that if the Lakers don't sign, you know, a big-name free agent this summer, um, that it's going to be even more difficult for fans. And I think that I think that the Lakers, you know, want to preach to fans that they need to be patient. There needs to be patience. But Lakers fans have been spoiled for so many years, you know, they're, they're not willing to be patient to, to have more than two years with the Lakers missing the playoffs. Um, so I'm seeing it now in the arenas at Staples Center. You know, there have been a few times already this year where you got fans booing because the Lakers aren't playing good basketball. Um, and fans also want to take that out on head coach Byron Scott. Um, but fans are always going to find somebody to blame. And in this case, I've noticed the fans blame Byron Scott and they blame Jim Buss. You know, those are kind of the scapegoats for Lakers fans. But i got to tell you, whether or not you think Byron Scott should be back next year or not, whether or not you think he's done a good job, it is really hard to even grade the job that Byron Scott has done with these circumstances in this situation, I mean, managing, figuring out how to manage, you know, you've got Kobe in his farewell tour, and you have to start him, you have to play him, and then you have these younger guys, D'Angelo, Jordan, Larry Nance, Anthony Brown, you know, trying to figure out where they all fit in, and then not having Kobe at practice because he's too old and hurt, um, and then, in, you know, trying to implement this offense, but, you know, you got only... 11, 12 wins to show for it, and you got guys on one-year deals knowing that they're not going to be with the Lakers next year. It is a hard situation to manage. So, you know, it's kind of been a no-win situation for Byron Scott, um, and the free agency situation is, is a big interesting one, especially when reports have come out that, you know, a lot of the players weren't very impressed in some of the free agency pitches. 
And it's going to be an interesting run for both Mitch Kupchak and for Jim Boss to see if they can get something to stick this summer. Because the fact of the matter is that although L.A. is, you know, a big destination place, it's not what it used to be in terms of being able to attract free agents. You need more than this being the Lakers, this being L.A., because at the end of the day, players can go somewhere else and make just as much money, if not more, because of taxes. And can, as we've seen with other big names, have a huge shoe deal you know, with Nike or with Adidas and make that money. Um, so it's going to be an interesting time for Lakers fans. And I can definitely see if things don't go well this summer in free agency and Lakers want to preach patience to the fans, but the fans probably aren't going to be. So last question about the um, Fail World Tour before we transition it back to a little bit more Memphis-based. Obviously, we know the last game is April 13th at home against Utah Jazz. Looking at the website right now, the the remaining tickets are only $1,800 left, and they're going for $875 a ticket, which is just unbelievable to think about. But any inside information whatsoever, Serena, that you can share that that maybe the Lakers organization and what they're thinking about the PR that they're going to do for Kobe in that final game, any inside anything you've heard at all that might be something exciting to think about in a couple of weeks? I'm sorry, guys. I got nothing on that front. The only thing I can tell you is that I believe there's supposed to be at least two more bobblehead nights. Ah, um, I think there's supposed to be three. Uh, last night was the one that was the first one released, but I don't know if you guys have seen it. I think it looks more like Lou Williams than it does Kobe Bryant. Um, but, you know, fans love those, so I think we've got two more of those. But other than that, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious and curious myself. I'm sure we'll have some some big names in the house that night, some some NBA legends there presenting Kobe with something of some sort. So I'm definitely excited to see it. I know Shaq will be there. That'll be fun. So I can't wait. Absolutely. Most likely, too, Magic Johnson, too, one of the great idols that Kobe's accustomed over the years. So let's move it back a little bit to the Memphis-based area. We know the Grizzlies and the Lakers played twice last week, Wednesday and Friday night. Kobe played at the Grizzlies in the FedEx Forum that decided to rest that Friday night again because of the shoulder injury. And then after the game Friday night, he presented Tony Allen with his, with a pair of his shoes, and he wrote on him, Tony, the best defender I've ever faced. And, he had, and you know, he, when he had that interview earlier in the season when he first announced his retirement, they asked him, Ernie Johnson, TNT host, asked him who was the closest to a Tony stopper and he said no no hesitation no question it was Tony Allen and then you think about over the years when they've played in these Western Conference Finals games against the Spurs with Bruce Bowen or Shane Battier uh, Grant Hill people of those natures all the battles he's had in the Western Conference do you think he chose Tony strictly because they faced multiple times in the finals and of course Boston and LA was one of the biggest rivalries for so many years why do you think it was Tony Allen that he decided to say the one guy that was close enough to stop me was the Tony Allen You know, it is interesting, right, when you think about all the great defenders that he's faced. But you brought up a great point there with it it being the Celtics and with it being at that time, you know, those are the most memorable, you know, games, right? That was, those are the biggest times. But I was also thinking, you know, it was interesting because we talk about the 2008 and the 2010 NBA Finals, you know, where Kobe and Tony Allen faced each other. But I want to say in in 2008, you know, I want to say that that Tony Allen actually only matched up with Kobe, I think, once or so in Game 5. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But, you know, you think back to those big battles, um, in Game 6 and in, in 2010 in the NBA Finals, but he was really one of the best on-ball defenders, is one of the best on-ball defenders in his time, and Kobe is somebody who 
he respects someone who just wants to take him on one-on-one and is up for the challenge. And Tony Allen isn't one of those guys who relies on his help defense or anything like that. And so I think he really respected that about him. Um, but, but yeah, I've got to say it's because of that Lakers-Celtics rivalry. I mean, that's kind of what matches up to me. Well, Serena, I appreciate all the insight you've given us this afternoon to one of the most iconic players in NBA history. And it's been, like we mentioned, it's been crazy to realize how this guy was the most competitive guy that I've ever witnessed on a basketball court. And now he's basically completely content and happy to sail off into the sunset. So, Serena, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, for giving your insight on the Lakers, and have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Serena. So that so that was Serena Winters, Jordan Taylor. Well, now we'll bring it to the final thoughts with JT here. Some great stuff there that we witnessed with Serena, giving us her insight there. So, Jordan, what do you think about this farewell tour? And what do you think about Kobe Howard? Literally, I've said it multiple times because it's just it's crazy to think about. Nobody was more competitive in this game than Kobe Bryant. And now he's smiling after they lose by 30. It's weird to see, man, because we're so used to seeing Kobe out there just battling every night in and out. It's like when, like you said, when they're down by twenty, and then you see over there joking around, smiles like yeah. you want to say, "Kobe, what's what's funny? Yeah, what's, what's wrong? funny? Put it, lace <laughs> up your uh, shoes, get out there, man." But but going going through this going through this last season with Kobe, man, it's just nice to it's just nice to finally see Kobe happy. Yeah, it's just like to see some serenity, some peace going on at least in Laker Nation out there because you know they've been through the trials and tribulations as much as any other team in the league, so. It's just nice to at least have that going out. So about the team itself, I'll ask you this question real quick before we ask you about the Tony question. The team itself, we know it's D'Angelo Russell and Clarkson right in the backcourt, hopefully for a Lakers perspective for the next five to seven years. Then, of course, Julius Randle is your big guy, is your cornerstone piece. And then after that, basically, they're probably going to go after free agency, right? So when you look at Russell and you look at Clarkson, Russell's unique, right? You see him last night, water in my veins, making those game-winning shots. You know, he's not a very cocky young man, but he's a very talented young man. And then when you look at Clarkson, sort of more low-key kind of guy, right? He'll bring the emotion from time to time, but not more emotion than D'Angelo Russell. I think we both agree Byron Scott has to go. I know Serena said it's very hard to judge what he's done this season, but regardless, Russell had to be the starting point guard from day one, and he had to start all 82 games, barring injury, just to get, you know, just to get his feet wet in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So when you look at this team with Russell, Clarkson, and Randall, any hope at all for Laker Nation, or what do you think Russell and those three guys can do going forward? Any hope depends on how much patience you got. That's true. Hope these guys have a lot of potential, man. They are very, very talented. But if you want to talk about getting to the playoffs, you want to talk about second round, Western Conference Finals, don't even talk to me about a championship. I'm not even thinking about that. But at least try to make it to the playoffs with this group. I think they can with this group, with with like that core of Russell Clarkson and uh and Randall. But with like, how how much blame do we put on Byron Scott, though? That's, that's because, like what Serena was saying. Like, right. you know you have to play Kobe every single game if he wants to play. It's just guaranteed because people are coming to see Kobe. Yeah. And then the reason he was benching D'Angelo in the earlier season was because he thought D'Angelo would have more time with the ball to be successful in the second unit, which makes sense. But I always thought regardless if it's going to be successful or non-successful, the guy's a rookie. He's only barely 22 years old. You've got to play him right now. Right now, it doesn't matter if it's god-awful basketball or somehow good basketball. So I think 
it's just the way he's managed his team, I think, and how he's basically, you know, he said he's thrown D'Angelo Russell under the bus multiple times, saying he's not, you know, he doesn't have the IQ as some of his other par rookie point guards, like, like stuff like that. Why are you calling out a barely a 21-year-old guy to say you have no IQ in the NBA? Yeah, but I think Scott's mentality was like he just wanted to make Russell hungry. I think he just wanted to let him know that nothing's going to be given to you. So I think Russell, like the last few games, been playing well, yeah. and I think he's definitely cherished his opportunity to finally get back in the starting lineup. He knows he's not going back to that bench. Yeah. He's doing whatever he can right now to remain the starter for the rest of this season. Like, so, like, you, like, like you're giving me a pitch to say Byron Scott deserves to be the head coach? I mean, you got you to look at it from both from both sides, man. Okay. I mean, look what, look what Byron Scott is wrestling, what yeah. he's uh, working with That's out true. there. I mean, he can only do so much. Like he's given the he's given the uh, the fans what they want in yep. Kobe. Yep. He's Kobe's tried his best to be out there as much as he can. Russell's finally getting out there, showing what he can do. I mean, you just gotta you just gotta look at it from both sides. So obviously, we're more Memphis biased here since we were around the Grizzlies a lot, and we've been a cutness now to witness Tony Allen and some of his great moments ever to be witnessed in a Memphis Grizzlies uniform uh, in these playoffs. But those Boston Celtics matchups when Kobe went into his prime and Tony was still a young guy trying to find his way in the league, he would literally only play five minutes a game or five spurts because mm-hmm. the only option he had was to guard Kobe Bryant. Doc Rivers said, go guard him for five minutes and then come sit down here with me. So when you look at those matchups over the years, was Tony Allen the best defender Kobe ever faced and was he the closest to stopping Kobe Bryant? You know, another one I thought of, Ron Artis. I thought I thought he was a pretty good. I thought they had some nice matchup, and it was funny. They got when, together, yeah. When they finally ended up on the same team, so I wonder if they had those same battles yeah. in practice. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think close. I think Tony is probably as close as you're going to come to a Kobe stopper. And some of those matchups were unbelievable, and it's just awesome. Just like as a fan of the NBA, it's just cool to see Kobe give his shoes to those certain players, and just mm-hmm. riding on the shoe. Like Tony will give those to his grandkids, yes. his kids, and then other kids, and they'll just go down in the Tony Allen generation. That's just gonna be something to witness for so many years. Yeah, because so. you gotta remember, man. A lot of these guys in the NBA now, yep. they they cherish Kobe just as much as we do. Exactly. Like his fans, like yeah. them them playing alongside him, playing against him and stuff. Like they look at Kobe just like we do. Yeah. And that's the only reason why we're witnessing this farewell tour. Like like I mentioned, it's just unbelievable to think how he was so competitive and now he's just a happy guy and enjoying it. And it's going to be very sad to witness in a couple of weeks when he finally plays his final game inside Staples Center against those Utah Jazz. By all means, if you want to go buy a ticket for $875, I ain't stopping you. But I'm telling you that's the price right now. Hey, man, it's a lot more productive thing you can do with your <laughs> money for $800. It's very true. <laughs> That's all the time we have today for episode six of the Ryan Glover podcast with guests. Thank you so much to Serena Winters from LakersNation.com for joining us, giving us those great insights about the Kobe Farewell Tour. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Thank you so much.